All right, folks, Justin here with a quick word before we make our return. Sorry for the brief hiatus there. We were waiting on a new logo to be done, which I'm more than happy with. Ah, fuck. Anyway, Nick and I recently sat down to chat with Mr. Jeff Black of Gatekeeper and Cloaked and many other projects. And I'm going to shut the fuck up and here you go. A tale of a wonder of a mystery, sacred power from beyond. A cry for glory and a memory tainted with the time. Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> What were you into when you were a kid? Were you building forts? Were you reading books? What's the scoop? I did both those things, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I built forts. I would go into the backyard and turn sticks into swords in my imagination. I, I, I grew up in like a, like a smaller town. I grew up with just, just on a healthy diet of like Super Nintendo. My, my mom was really into fantasy and sci-fi, so it was like Star Wars and like the old Rankin-Bass. Is it Rankin-Bass or Rankin-Bass? I'm not sure. The, but the old like Hobbits and Lord of the Rings cartoons and Ralph Bakshi and stuff. So it was, it was, it was a lot of that growing up a lot of like old rock and roll a lot of queen a lot of zeppelin also a lot of gordon lightfoot folk music and stuff like that too so it was kind mm. of uh you know it's kind of a little snapshot i guess last unicorn i watched last unicorn like a trillion times when i was in single digits i rewatched it like last year or the year before and it still holds up it's like a beautiful piece of animation and i think it hits equally as hard as an adult as it does as a kid in fact it probably hits harder as an adult i think what were you playing on super nintendo my favorite series growing up was mega man and like mega man mm. x those are my favorites and i think those were like that, that was like the first music i loved too yeah yeah, I, yeah i'm yeah. pretty sure mega man x like is why i do what i do now <laughs> i feel like the soundtrack of those games yeah a lot of Mega Man x and then what and then as i got a little bit older i kind of got i got really into like japanese rpgs and stuff like that so it was a lot of like it was like secret of mana final fantasy stuff stuff like that that's all i played like i have all the black labels over here on oh, the show yeah. final fantasy tactics me and nick were just talking about before you came dude in. right my final favorite fantasy game Tact my favorite that's my favorite game that's my favorite game oh my god <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, dude. I can play Final Fantasy Tactics all day long right now. My eyes yeah, that, that was like Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. It's a serious yeah. story, like a very serious, intricate story. If you if you miss like one dialogue box, it might fuck you up. <laughs> like you might yeah, not know yeah, what's yeah. going on. <laughs> Have you played the hard mode version of it? There's a, like a hacked version out there that's extremely difficult, but it's very rewarding. I have not. I have not. I do remember though on Game Facts, someone did a walkthrough of how to beat the game with only using Ramza, and you just Man, like the solo challenge, yeah. SCC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I never, I never did that, but I read the walkthrough. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> 
Dude, I was on Game Facts back in the day too. I was always on the Final Fantasy Tactics social board, and I was like ten years old. Yeah, man. Is Game Facts? Does Game Facts even exist anymore? Is yeah, dude. I was just on the Final Fantasy Tactics board like two days ago. Yeah. Oh man. That's I still talk to some of those people. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't laid eyes upon that site in like probably ten years. Oh yeah, it's still out there. It was like that's one cool. of the first gaming juggernaut sites there there was. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's a, that's some old magic. So I'm interested to hear some of your favorite stories from some of your favorite authors. Like, what kind of got you going? fiction wise I, I was reading a lot of like high fantasy when i was younger for sure and a lot of sci-fi so it so it was obviously like lord of the rings was there when i was a preteen mm-hmm. tolkien hobbit kind of stuff i read a lot of like the the star wars novels like the extended universe <laughs> star wars stuff the timothy zahn novels and stuff like that i also did what was uh what was the shinara uh, terry brooks the shinara series. yeah sort of sort of, of shinara yeah sort of shinara yeah I, re- I read a bunch of those and also like terry brooks had this other series that i that i i, I read all the books of the magic kingdom for sale series mm. did you guys ever hear about that i've heard of them i have not read them i i've i've got some of those but i've never read them they're pretty fun. I actually found them more memorable than Shinara. In fact, I can like, I read Shinara when I, yeah, probably when I was in middle school, late elementary school. Honestly, I barely remember them. I probably read three or four of the books and I have like almost no memory of anything except like two of the character names, and, like a couple scenes. But the Magic Kingdom series, like this still sticks out in my mind. The premise is very wacky. The premise is pretty comedic, but it's still kind of a, it's still kind of a serious story once you get into it. Those ones. And then when I was in my late teens, I discovered the pulp fiction like the, the pulp era stuff so robert e howard hp lovecraft the weird tales guys clark ash and smith mm-hmm. and i kind of like pivoted into that pretty hard in fact I, I in fact they those guys kind of got me started reading again it was, right. it was like robert e howard's so like those old conan tales and stuff like that so yeah as far as that goes so those were probably like my biggest influence so a lot of hour of the dragon by robert e howard shadow over innsmouth i'm lovecraft really 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 like that one a lot and then of course like there's some of the other guys too like moorcox the first two Elric books a lot. The Grey Mouser series. Oh, uh, yeah. Baffert and Grey Mouser by Fritz yeah, Lieber. Fritz, Fritz Lieber. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those are so much fun. I've read like every Discworld novel, I think. God damn. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I did I got like a lot of I, I kind of like front loaded a lot of reading in like up until like my early to mid twenties. And I've kind of taken a, a break from reading fiction over the past few years. Actually, I haven't like read a fiction novel in a long time. Like it's been it's been a little while. Probably have been focused on like career stuff so much. But so I, I kind of front loaded a lot of my early life with that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. What was your first creative outlet? What, was it was it music or did you start writing or what was the first thing that you you actively did creatively as a kid? That's a good question. I mean, I was definitely into stories. I think when I was a kid, I think I wanted to be involved in the in the game industry. I think that's something that I wanted to do. I'm like, I want to be a person who does video games in some way. And I and I was I was always I, I felt like I was I was always writing stories that I thought would make cool video game settings and like mm-hmm. RPG settings. And I was like drawing characters and things like that. But I I never like finished anything. I just like I I, I would conceptualize stuff and I get settings and things like that. But as far mm-hmm. as like crafting a narrative, I just just like couldn't see that far into the future. I started doing music pretty young. Like I started 
started taking piano lessons when I was like eight years old. And that was just a thing that I did. And then as I became a teenager, out of all the things that I was doing, music was the thing that I seemed to excel at, that I seemed to do the do the best at. And I remember even having like a conversation with my parents at one point when I was like in grade 11 or grade 12. And they're just like, so what, like, what are you thinking of doing after high school? And I was like, well, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to maybe do graphic design or uh, concept art for video games, that kind of thing. They're just like, well, we've seen what you do in that realm. We've seen what you work on at home. But we've also heard you play music and like with your with your bands and stuff. We're like, we think you're better at music. You should consider going down the road with that. You should, should consider being more serious about that. We just think that's more thing. You know, they just gave me that advice. And I was like, okay. And then I kind of just, now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, they're smart. They were, I mean, it, it was pretty amazing that I had like parents who were like, you know, when they, when they kind of, they just like looked at like the options and they're like, yeah, like we think you could just be better at this. You might have a better shot at like making that work. They're very, yeah, as, they're, long they're, as, they're very you know, as long as they're pushing you creatively like that, I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It was never like, you know, my, like my dad's like a solid, like, like my dad's like a, a smart guy. He's a trades guy, but and, and he's like smart as hell. Like he does instrument design, but he's also very creative dude as well my mom is a creative type person as well and you know they worry because they're parents and stuff like that and they're always like concerned about making sure that i'm fending for myself i guess like that's always yeah that was always a thing but they never i think i think what it was is like they would see the teachers that i worked with like my teachers growing up and they'd be like oh like jeff's piano teacher did great like he had like a nice he had like a nice big house and had like all this fancy gear i'm sure like if jeff's piano teacher can do that jeff can do it right 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 i don't know they did they, they, they saw like other people being being successful and even in the small town that I grew up with. And so I think they're just like, oh, if these people can do it, then I'm sure Jeff can figure it out. And that you bummer. said the 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 speculative fiction angle, Star Wars, fantasy novels, all that stuff sort of came from your mom. Was any of, of that coming from your dad? Was he into music or anything? My dad's my dad's a big music fan. He's a serious music fan. Not so much the music that I like, but uh, he's a big music fan. Like we always had um, CDs or vinyl albums or just records on in the house, like like the radio on or whatever. Like he was just into that. Loves going to concerts and stuff. But he's not he's not like a fiction guy. He like watch movies and stuff. But like you know he likes to read historical stuff, um, nonfiction, travel, mm, okay. travel diaries, that kind of thing. That's more his that's more his cup of tea. And my mom's kind of all over the map, but she's like very. She was like, but she she like grew up reading Lord of the rings and seeing star wars as well so she kind of like brought that into my life at a pretty early age and she made me read all of the lord of the rings books before we could go see them in the theater when, they came, <laughs> when the peter jackson movies came out parents who know best <laughs> exactly obviously jeff you write a lot of fiction and music so what does your typical writing session look like and how does that contrast or maybe compare to your songwriting approach that's a good question so i'm a little ashamed to admit that i actually haven't like sat down and done some serious writing in in quite a long time i i had like a period of time where I was like, I, it, it was something that I did almost every day. Like I would sit down and work on a short story or like draft something or brainstorm or what have you. Try to try to work on a novel, which... Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I I I get I get ten thousand words in, and like uh, my brain just falls apart. Mm -hmm. yep. It just like spirals, and you know. So oh, when yeah. when I was writing though, it was like I got to do this every day, even if it's just me just writing random words down on a page. You know, I just need to like needed to get in the vibe, like get like just get in the zone of okay, fingers are on the keyboard. I'm just like spitballing stuff. I would uh, uh, a lot of my story ideas would come from me. Like I used to have a uh, 
at my old at one of my older places i had a bunch of my favorite album cover like records attached like on the wall sort of yeah. like posters and i would just look at an album cover look at the album title and be like oh manila road the deluge oh and then i just start like okay like what's that like what's that album cover about you know and i just kind of like get a story idea from that a lot of the time yeah and sometimes it's just yeah you just write random shit or you just type out song lyrics until like oh that song lyric could make a cool story title what's that, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> yeah i just kind of like lift in borrowing inspiration from stuff that exists but then just been like, okay like well yeah a lot of it came from like music and bands that i like and stuff like that and then with songwriting how con- how contrast that's a good that's a good question i don't know if i have a strict songwriting process i try to do a lot of stuff like i used to be very much like a riff guy so i would just sit down with the guitar and fuck around and hopefully i get something cool out of the mm-hmm. deal I, I i actually try not to do that anymore because i feel like that's a pretty inefficient way to write and i found that i was just doing the same stuff over and over again your body just trains itself to make the same motions and the same patterns over and over and over again so i was like oh i'm not getting anywhere with this so i i, I, char- I started changing it up i actually start a lot of my songs on the keyboard now i'll just mm-hmm. like find a synth or just a piano sound and i'll just like play chords little melodies and i'll often set up a microphone and i'll just kind of like like just sort of scat or hum like little melodies over top and then when i kind of stumble across an idea that way then i found it very fun to like okay this might make a cool chorus or a cool verse and then i'll start building the song around that so i'll start with like a melody and chord progression and then i'll start bringing riffs over top of it and then to me i actually like that better i feel like the songs come more naturally they feel more musical to me and then when i'm crafting riffs i feel like i'm doing it with more intention than i was before right and i think that's like really important for like any creative idea i think you do need to have intention you kind of need to know what you want to do before you do it kind not 100 of the time but i feel like my best stuff has come down where i sat down and said okay i'm gonna start with the piano and i want like kind of a sad forlorn type thing Mm -hmm. and then i try to create that vibe and then build on top of that and i feel like that's when stuff comes to me the the best and i feel like it's when i get my best stuff i feel like fiction writing is kind of the same way you I feel, I feel like personally it always works best when you sort of have an endpoint, some kind of loose mood and then you just like see where it goes you don't plot because i don't outline anything i write which is probably why i don't write a whole lot but <laughs> um but, I, I barely you know, did either but i mean it, that always just works better for me because it's like okay that's that's where i want to get to and then you just take the ride there you know it's like yeah. I, I, read a, I read an interview with stephen king one time where he talked about writing is like driving with your headlights off in a, in, a, in fog basically <laughs> like you can yeah. just barely see in front of you so yeah totally Totally. You talked about your piano lessons as a child, and, and that shows very clearly when you listen to Encloaked. That was mm-hmm. one of the first things that struck me about Encloaked is okay. just how skilled you were at putting notes together like that. But Thank when you. did you decide to when did you decide to pick up a guitar? I was kind of a late comer to the guitar. I didn't start playing guitar until I was. I think I bought my first guitar when I was sixteen, maybe seventeen, and I didn't really start seriously playing it until I was like twenty. I think twenty nineteen twenty. I had it and I was like kind of writing riffs and like I played keyboards in bands in high school. I I play keyboards and like do vocals and stuff like that. But I was always like, I I was often the guy writing riffs. I would like pick up a guitar and I would just kind of like try to string some power chords together or like do like a melody or something. And then I'd tab it out and then I'd send it to my other bandmates and they would kind of like learn it and dress it up a little bit because they're, you know, they actually play guitar. I'm like, oh, I I just like guitar. I should just play guitar, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, so I got a guitar. So when it comes to your stories, I enjoyed Storm Storm Chaser, and you're right. Thank reading the Blue you. Mistress does help with Storm Chaser. I'd tell anyone oh, yeah. to read that one first. Do you have anything else going on with those characters, specifically Ocean Sword characters? I did have a bunch of ideas for other stories, like in that world and with those with that. A, a lot of those stories were centered around the crew of that of the ship, the Orphan, which is kind of where a lot of the characters in those two stories are, are centered around i did have a couple i did have a couple ideas for ones for like that the older guard from the ocean sword i did have a couple ones and i, I wanted to, to try doing something where like god I, i'm trying to remember this is a while ago i did have some some narratives crafted where like it, it was supposed to be sort of the orphan and they're like this crew of misfits from like all the different corners of their world and they just go on these adventures and like get into these like sort of nautical piratey kind of situations and then there's that the main character of blue mistress dirks he was going to be kind of the lens that you see this world through i had stories of him like when he's older and he's He's like now the captain of the ship mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, he gets hired up. There, there's I was trying to write a novel where he was like hired as a mercenary captain for a fleet for like an imperialist nation that was going on and conquering like another continent. And he was having moral quandaries about it. Right, stuff right. like that. There, there's there, there's going to be a novel about that. And then and then there and then there was sort of like the, the shorter fun kind of like weird like supernaturally type ones where it's mm -hmm. like a little like a little Fafford Grey Mouse or where they're kind of they're kind of quirky and fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to your stories that appeared in DMR, did Dave approach you or did you just submit? How did that come about? Yeah, that's a good question. The first one was so long ago now. Like it was, wow. I mean, it might, it might have been like eight or nine years ago when that first, when I wrote that first one. It, it was because I still I still lived in Edmonton. It was before I moved to Vancouver. So it was a while ago. I think that he had, I want to say that he approached me about it. I, th I think he had seen that I had done a little bit of writing or was like monkeying around with it. Either that or he knew that I, or he just, because I'd, I'd met Dave before and I think we just talked about fantasy novels and I think he might have hit me up and just been like hey do you want to like take a crack at this he's like I think mm. here's my idea for a, like a book series of like fantasy stories by metal musicians and he's mm. like I know you're into fantasy and stuff like that and I've seen you like write album reviews and things like that like do you want to try writing a story and I can't remember if I wrote the story because of that or if I was already maybe in the middle of it and then finish it with the intention of putting it in there but right. I, I have a feeling, I, I, I feel like he hit me up about it first. Okay, cool. Now, what about your duo that is in Below Dead Lake? Do you have any plans for those guys? In my head, they were going to be occupying the same universe, but they're just in like a different part of the world. I don't think I had like any other specific ideas for those for those characters, but I was, tr I remember trying to think of ways of how to like kind of connect, kind of connect what's happening there part of the world to other stuff that's going on with like the orphan. Like maybe there's like a crossover thing that happens or maybe there's like other stories that take place in that part of the world. I didn't have anything planned for those characters specifically though. So like you've obviously done some world building there. Is that fiction wise, is that sort of what you focus on the most when you sit down to write fiction, that that world? In, in a way, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always kind of admire the high, you know, Robert E. Howard's like Hyborian age where he's got like, okay, you know, he's, he's got like tons of stories that take place in the Hyborian age. And there's this whole mythos that goes around it and his stories all take place in different parts of it. And there's new characters. A lot of it, again, it's through the lens of Conan. But not only that, though, but the Hyborian Age also connects to everything else. It's like a pre, it's like post-Atlantis. So there's there's the Hyborian Age, but there's... There, I can't, the Thulian Age, I think, is when he's got yeah. the Atlantean stuff. And it's all the same world, but just different epochs of it. And then he's got his modern Earth stuff, modern for that time, at least. 
and even that kind of connects to the Hyborian age in its own way. So I think I, I think I, that rubbed off on me. I would just mm. say like, okay, I'm just going to kind of like come up with a lot of ideas and put them in this, in this world because world planets are pretty big. Worlds are pretty big and you could have, you could feasibly have these characters on the same planet in a fantasy setting. Right. So I think to me that kind of simplified it in a way. Has any of that ever bled over into the lyrics for any of your music projects? Or do you have plans to, to do anything musically that's more narrative like that? Not specifically, I don't I don't think. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the fiction ideas did come from music stuff, but I, I would say it was from music that already existed, whereas it was less of me, like, it's not really like a Rhapsody of Fire thing where, like, their, mm-hmm. uh, their fantasy story is like, like embedded into their music i've always i've always kind of kept it separate because i just don't think i would do it as well as rhapsody mm. of fire or like some of those other bands who have dedicated themselves to that in a way right so, you never know you're pretty good well appreciate that <laughs> i mean yeah yeah you never say never of course yeah right 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 I, concept albums are one of my favorite things and I, I, I honestly i feel like you would pull that off magnificently so <laughs> oh thank you i mean yeah and again never say never it might be fun when would you say that your fascination in music and instrumentation took like a evolve into a professional pursuit i think when i kind of left high school i think that was sort of that was sort of my new mindset my new goal was like i'm going to be like a working musician that's going to be that's going to be my thing like that's going to be me when i was younger my vision was more like okay like i'll, I'll teach i'll teach music to kids like my teachers did because that's a pretty reliable source of income like that's the closest to thing to being like a trade musician as mm-hmm. you'll find i think Right. And then and then I was like, but my vision for myself is like, I'm going to be a guy who plays in bands. I'm going to play in bands. I'm going to be I'm going to go on tour. I'm going to like record albums with these bands like that. That was sort of like my vision for myself. I wanted to play Vakken, Bloodstocks, like Hellfest. Like I, I wanted to do that. And then as I've kind of gotten older, I've realized that maybe my skill set isn't so much in that like high level performance type realm and it's maybe more it's, it's in other places my band gatekeeper like we did try to take things pretty seriously but it, the amount of money that it costs to get a band off the ground is pretty insane like when you when you really start like looking at bands who are taking it super seriously and starting to play it on like higher levels and bigger stages i kind of sat down and did like a critical look inward and was just like you know maybe that's not what i actually want to do mm-hmm. maybe playing in a band is fun and you can you know i can do it to a certain level but maybe there's something else in here that i enjoy more and i think actually it's more about the process of like getting the music together and producing it and getting that sort of finished product out and then working with other bands too um has been a lot of fun so i guess the the short answer would be i I, it's always been in my mind since i was since like i was in my late teens i was like i'm gonna be a working musician but just my i guess the frame of stuff that i do has shifted over the years we've touched on gatekeeper and and cloaked you've mentioned that you like to start on keys when it comes to enclosed gatekeeper and your solo projects is it always the same do you mix things up since the styles are so different i mean it's, it's definitely different because a lot of the gatekeeper stuff so starting on keys is kind of a newer thing for me at least as far as like writing songs with lyrics is concerned but when i when i do enclosed material it's it, it starts on the keyboard almost all the time there are a couple songs where i kind of like had a thing on guitar and i'm like oh i'll play this on the piano and see how that sounds that, that did happen once or twice yeah within cloaked yes it, it, it 
you know, I start with a keyboard riff, you know, like whether it's uh, I'll just flip through patches on synthesizers or on my on my keyboards until I find a sound that's that kind of strikes a chord with me. I'm like, oh, this I can like this. This is giving me a vibe right now. And then I'll try to come up with like an idea or a melody that suits that vibe, whatever it is, whether it's nostalgic or like epic battle kind of stuff or kind of neoclassical and then try to like build off of that. And then with with a, a lot of the gatekeeper stuff, a lot of it is it does start as riffs, but I'm going to try to approach gatekeeper from a, I, I do want to try writing some gatekeeper songs where I approach it from a more melodic and lyrical perspective because I, I think it would be uh, an interesting change on it because I, I have found with gatekeeper that it's it's very riff forward it's very like guitar centric and then the vocals we kind of have to like fit over top of all of all that which can be a little difficult sometimes or challenging so I kind of want to I, I want to try mixing that up I want I want to take my approach that I've adopted for my other stuff and bring that into gatekeeper and see how it sits see if it's see if it works a question I I like to ask all musicians we have on is do you remember your first ever live experience and are there any hijinks attached with the story because there usually are playing live yourself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> okay so when i was when i was a kid taking piano lessons we'd have to do like recitals and things like that and i don't know if i i can't really think of any specific hijinks attached to those because those are always just you know kids in like button-up dress shirts like <laughs> going into like an old folks home and playing like whatever you know whatever they're working on but i do remember like when i was when i was in when i was in like grade five or grade six i had like the sheet music like an easy version of the sheet music for the the uh the from Star Wars Episode One, the duel of the fates, the the lightsaber duel with yeah. uh, Darth Maul. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, oh yeah, the, the yeah. Guys. And, and I was like, that's that's the best thing about Episode One is like that song. That song is like so dope. And I like I like practiced the shit out of it on piano. Like I pra- like I pra- it, it was like eight pages long, and like I memorized it because I saw a kid like the previous recital. Mem- he memorized his song, and he was the only one who did. And I'm like, I can fucking do that, I'm fucking kid. <laughs> and then. Um, so like memorized it and like I played it and we, and we did all our recitals at this like old folks home and everyone's playing these like nice songs all these like pretty ballads or like classical tunes and then I went and I'm playing like Duel of the Fates on the on this piano for all these like just like old people and they're just like oh my god I wish I had <laughs> video of this this is great that's fucking funny. awesome <laughs> it's very funny it's very funny and then my first ever gig with a band was when I was in grade 10 or 11 and I joined a band with a with a guitar player from my high school jazz band because I was a, I was a band kid school and he was like he was a, he knew i was a rocker because i had like kind of long hair and i'd wear band shirts and he was like a shredder steve Vai type dude and then there was a there was a, another a drummer that he knew and he was like yeah we're, we're, we're in like a prog shreddy kind of band <laughs> you're fucking terrible <laughs> <laughs> we played like our first show at a coffee house like in our in our hometown and like a bunch of like our friends from high school showed up and like my parents came and like after the gig they're just like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> like why are you like why are you making this noise that was atrocious you know they're like they're like, they're like come on like we like <laughs> we're paying good money for your lessons don't throw it away on this garbage <laughs> and i was like oh yeah you're right we do suck so i quit that band <laughs> Hey, oh my god that's hilarious yeah they didn't pull back <laughs> jeff you also you do a lot of uh, sound mixing and producing for a lot of folks i just wanted to ask you is there a mistake that you see being made when it comes to that side of things that a lot of people make mm-hmm. like as a general advice oh boy that's a good one because the, the thing is is there's a lot of there's a lot of advice that gets bandied about that pe- you know you, you see things people say that on youtube or on forums and whatnot um there's a couple things that stick out in my mind if you're eqing something don't do anything more than 
plus three or minus three decibels on your EQ or whatever. And most of those types of rules are total bullshit. They're, I think they're well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. But they're usually they're, they're usually not correct or not true or not really that helpful. Ultimately, it comes down to what sounds good. And so what you need to do is you need to decide what sounds good. You need to come up with like a frame of reference for what sounds good. And if your definition of sounds good is a Burzum album, that's cool, fine. That's, you know, use that as your frame of reference and just try to figure things out that will get you to that goal. Whereas if your definition of sounds good is Katy Perry, then you need to make decisions that'll take you further in that direction. And most of the advice that you get on the internet is so vague in general and limiting that it's kind of, it's kind of useless. Mm -hmm. Again, well, intention but at the end of the day it's kind of useless i would say just push stuff to the extreme just so you can figure out how what it does to your sound and how it works and then pull back and figure out how to make it how to make sense of it after that i heard they had a dungeon synth split coming out version in katie perry so yeah i would listen to that i was straight i would do it would certainly be an album <laughs> I, i'd be like i have to know yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I check it out. Gonna ask when you decided to get into the more mixing side of things and more technical mm-hmm. aspects of things. I mean, I've always like recorded myself and recorded demos. Like ever since I ever since I was like a teenage, like m- my piano teacher in high school showed me what a what a DAW is. Like uh, he he had like we had like cakewalk sonar which is i don't even think it's around anymore and he would like show me how to record midi and key synthesizers and stuff like that and so ever since then i've always kind of recorded myself and then leading up to the pandemic i kind of had the idea and i was like well we all kind of record ourselves at home anyway a little bit why don't we turn our rehearsal studio into like a recording space and we can kind of record our own demos and do our own pre-production and maybe if we get good enough we can record our own albums instead of like paying for bigger studios or you know and so we we did that and i started working on that and getting more into that side of things and then when the and then when the pandemic hit about a say eight or ten months later i just pivoted i was just like you know what like we're probably not going to be playing live for like a couple years because we're we're still locked we're still kind of locked down up here we had like two months where bands were playing shows and then that's just this shit's done yeah. I'm like, well, we're not going to, we're, we're definitely not going to be playing live anytime soon. So I'd better just do this, to occupy myself. And I, I've, I've really gotten into it. Like I'm really, I really enjoy it. And ever since I started working with other bands, it's been like really refreshing. It's like, I can be in everyone's band. Sort yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of fun, you know? And like, it's been cool. Like the first, like the, I, I have an album coming out. It's so it's, it's not my album, but it's a band called Night and Gallo from California. They're like, they're like young kids. They're, they're like, like 19, yeah. 20 years old. They're like babies. And that was, they're like my first full length album client. And they hit me up because they're just like, oh yeah, we saw that you like, we, we, we saw that you do mixing and we heard a couple of your tracks that you do as a solo artist. We'd like them. And they're, they're, they're like gatekeeper fans. They're like, we love that. Like get that gatekeeper album. Be cool to like work with you. And it was really fun. Like we bounced, like we did, like we bounced song ideas back and forth a little bit. They had the songs written already, but they had parts they weren't sure about. So we kind of went back and forth to, you know, kind of massage them a little bit. And their, their singer wanted some help doing like harmonies so i sang like their vocal harmonies and mixed them in and stuff like that and it was it was super fun i was like god i can get into this like it's like and i've done a few other projects like that yeah it's just kind of like i get to be in everyone's band yeah yeah it's yeah it's a lot of fun and i can imagine that seeing all the 
intricacies behind every band you work with, see how their process works and how they're creating stuff probably will help you as a musician too, you know? Totally. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it also like being in the band doing kind of what we've been doing and being active in our circle was also really, really helpful because people kind of have already, you know, some people have already heard of me through gatekeeper related stuff. You know, we're, so it, it's, it, it, it was a lot easier I, I would say that like if I was starting from scratch, it would I feel like it would be a lot more difficult than mm-hmm. it, it is now because I kind of already have in a certain circle at least some right, right. reputation already, which which has been helpful kind of getting like a foot in the door and getting like the first few clients and stuff. Yeah. And another thing, cool thing was like when I was when I was getting more serious about it, I basically hit up every single band that I knew who recorded themselves. And I said, hey, can you like send me one of your old songs to like practice mixing with? And I had like 14 or 13 bands send me songs to practice with. And it was like that was an, like an incredible, incredible help get, getting to practice with my friends bands mm-hmm. you know? yeah and just try to try to try to mix it and like learn the craft a little bit and you know i'd, I'd send them what i came up with and they'd send me like mixed notes and stuff like that it was kind of like training you know yeah yeah trial by fire yeah it was cool you're obviously plugged into the bigger community up in canada and would you say that gatekeeper is a a trad metal band or do you guys sort of go into different genres and or do you feel like you're plugged into that scene with like traveler and smolder and all those kind of bands yeah i'd say so that, that's definitely kind of I, I think we get put in there a lot and when people ask me what kind of a band we are i, I just say we're a heavy metal band it's definitely trad metal like when i wrote those songs that's what I wanted to be you know I wanted it to be kind of kind of like the, the Viking Bathory stuff the Atlantean Codex the 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 man of war like I wanted that sort of marching into battle with like the triumphant vocals and kind of mournful lead guitars that kind of thing like that, that's what I wanted and as we've gone as we've gone and like we've had the lineup changes and I'm a bit I'm a bit better at guitar than when I first started it's starting to get there's like a little bit more maybe a little bit more power metal stuff that's come into it but Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I'm like, we're, we're a heavy metal band. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like where we stay rooted to. Even if we maybe occasionally drift off into like other ideas. I feel like that's always going to be like the the core of the band. And yeah, I consider like, yeah, Traveler. I mean, Traveler and Smolder and like and those sorts of bands. Like I consider those like our contemporaries. I know everyone in those bands. They're friends. In fact, everyone, everyone, everyone in those bands was from a city that was like an hour away from me. So I like I, I knew them before those bands even started, you know. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You started Gatekeeper in 2009. It was a solo project. So how did that evolve into the Gatekeeper we know by East of Sun? Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I started working on that. That I started writing songs for that. And it was literally just a way for me to, like, learn how to play guitar, just, like, writing riffs and, like, learning how to play them properly and stuff. And I would, like, make little demos. This And this is back when MySpace was still the way to go. And I, would, I just made, like, a little MySpace page. And I had, like, a logo made up. And I, I would just put, like, little song clips demos instrumental on this myspace page i was posting on a lot of forums too i was on a lot of like metal forums like hell ride for doom metal and solstice the band solstice i was on their forum and i was just like a poster then i just have like a link to the myspace in the signature and after a little while like some of the guys in other bands would like message me like hey like what is this thing you got going on like what's like what is that what is this project that you're that you have like we haven't heard a full song but the clips sound cool like what's that and it was people from bands that i liked which was kind of like shocking the guys from the guys from the band atlantean codex actually messaged me and they're like hey like this band sounds cool like what is it Mm. and i'd say oh it's just like me messing around they're like you should make that a real band like (laughs) you should get like you should get a real drummer you should get a singer you should make that a real band like they think like we think it sounds really cool and do like the, the drummer from atlantean codex like played drums 
uh, on like the first demos. Like he like recorded himself and like sent me the sent me the tracks and we used his drums. It was really cool. And so I, I kind of like owe a lot of er- like my initial inspiration to those guys because if they if they if they hadn't have said anything, I don't know if it would have. I don't know how far I would have taken it. And if Atlantean Codex tells you that you sound good, you just kind of take it and run with it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should probably <laughs> probably yeah. probably follow through with that. <laughs> I, I, I was I was like, damn, these guys are smart. I should probably. <laughs> <laughs> these guys write books and shit <laughs> right exactly exactly how did you get into dungeon synth from there how did when did when did that interest start as far as like my interest in dungeon synth as like a genre pre- i mean not that long ago probably in 2019 20 you know or maybe early 2020 i kind of started listening to it as that genre but i think the reason that i listened to it was because it reminded me of stuff that i had heard in my childhood which i think is probably a common thread for a lot of yeah. people it, you know it reminds them of the intros from their favorite black metal albums it reminds them of the video game music they grew up with which is kind of my vibe yeah i feel like i've been listening to dungeon synth but i just didn't know what it was until you know recently exactly I, i do have this memory though of like a power metal band that i played in like five or six or seven years ago and i remember some like one of the members i have this memory of this conversation i might be making this up but i feel like this conversation <laughs> happened where he was like jeff you ever like listen to dungeon sim in my head i was like oh i know what that sounds like and i just like never checked it out <laughs> <laughs> and then i went and i was like i saw people like po- like talking about dungeon synth on facebook and i'm like oh yeah i should listen to that and i like looked it up on youtube and i'm like oh this sounds exactly what i thought it would sound like yeah. <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory yeah i'm like this is pretty sweet <laughs> why did i wait this long it, it was like it was like fight or fief i guess it's, i guess it's fief yeah it, it was like fief and secret stairways fog weaver was probably like an early one just what whatever was like popular on the dungeon synth archive youtube channel that's kind of yeah. like what i listened to first. Mm-hmm. gatekeeper has one of the greatest covers known to man and richard the third i gotta ask like why uh, what yeah. drove you guys to cover that song because you knew were were you guys like playing around with it and you knew that you were nailing it oh man well, well thanks dude we, we, we got a we, we've gotten some some kind words about that cover which is we we were we, which we didn't expect actually i, I don't know why we picked i, I don't know where uh, man we we probably spent like hours trying to pick that cover we got asked to do this like, new wave of british heavy metal tribute album mm-hmm. um, which was kind of produced and like or executive produced by like bart gabriel from skull records and like he hit us up and asked to contribute we, we had done another one of his um with an exciter cover which was a lot of fun and so he's like yeah do you want to do like a new wave british heavy metal one and i'm like yeah of course we would like we love that shit and so me and our, our bass player david were kind of like uh, at the time we were sort of like the two main like creative guys in the band so we would sort of make a lot of the decisions and we sat down and we just like we probably did like three of these sessions where we just like go to his house get drunk and just like youtube new traditional heavy metal bands and just like <laughs> make lists of so like, like oh yeah like oh yeah like let's listen to some tigers of pantang and like we'd like listen to like a few tracks but like hey like what do you think we could do from this and we'd like write a couple songs down then we do raven and then we do like girl school and then like all of a sudden we just be in the most obscure shit like that like none of us had heard of we just go down these rabbit holes and we'd find these just like bizarre bands like dawn watcher and titan and stuff like that and we're just like some of the some of the wackiest like <laughs> most bizarre most bizarre bands like no wonder these guys never got big kind of bands <laughs> and then we kind of came up with like a top three and we brought it to the rest of the guys and we asked a couple friends and we're like okay i, I think our top three there there was i can't remember what the name of the song is there's a the band called saracen yeah. from the uk and the opening track from their album i think it's called i think it's crusade so we, we had that one we had tredegar richard the third and then we had a third one I, I think it was a more popular one it might it might have been like a tigers of pantank song or something and then we we kind of like thought about it and we liked the idea of doing the saracen song because we all like that song a lot 
lot, but we're like, this Tredegar song already kind of sounds like something we would write. We And we kind of jammed and we're like, oh, like we play this one pretty well. We should just do this one. This one just kind of sounds like something we would naturally play. I'm going to go ahead and say that I like the cover better than the original. So oh. you, did, you did a good job with that. That was super, super rad. It's a shame they didn't go any further. And since the start of the pandemic, you've released a lot of solo stuff. What is your goal with that? Is it eventually to have a Jeff Black solo album? Or are you keeping yourself busy? What's the goal? A lot of it was keeping myself busy, honestly. Mm-hmm. And also, like, as I was getting more and more into production and kind of, like, refining my songwriting technique, I was like, I need, an, I need a way to, like, actually put this into practice. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write some songs. Like, I'm, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just, like, try to, I'm, I'm going to write a song i'm gonna try to do a a new song every month and i'm just gonna try to like up my game in every song basically Mm -hmm. yeah so the first you know just try to write the songs as quickly as possible with as little and now when i say quickly i don't mean like i'm trying to rush them out and like i'm not trying to shit them out or anything but trying to overthink them as little as possible because that was something that i felt like was holding me back i was i would like play a riff for like hours trying to like perfect the minute of it you know (laughs) and then i and i thought about it and i was just like i don't think that actually makes the riffs any better (laughs) (laughs) i don't know and i was like let me just let me just kind of play it a couple times and if i like it record it move on to the next you know just move on right and you know and then just instead of playing one riff for two hours like try to like just play a like get a full song that i can play through in two hours even if it's not the song that ends up being finally recorded like get a full song out as quickly as possible you know so just trying to refine that technique you know i started like recording my own vocals and i hadn't really sang in a lot like i hadn't sang lead vocals in like forever and just kind of like teaching myself how to do this like trying to like program drums in a quasi realistic way and then yeah just kind of do that like and make every song a bit better than the last one well and then what happened is once like once a few of those songs came out that's when bands started hitting me hitting me up to mix them so that was that was kind of a nice like side effect and then yeah just doing doing a new song every month for that period of time i just kind of i just needed something to like i, I needed like the dragon ball z like time chamber <laughs> for production <laughs> That's like what that's like what I needed. Yeah. So, I, so I gave myself that. There you go. <laughs> so another yeah. question I like to ask everyone is what's the best show that you've attended as a fan? Ooh, man. That's I think about this actually. I think about this. I'm like, God, like, what are like my top five concert experiences? And they do shuffle around. And I, I have to say, because you you kind of never forget this wasn't my first concert, but it was my first metal concert. It's got to be the Black Sabbath Heaven and Hell with Dio. Shit, that. that's a oh, wow. I didn't know you were going to say that. Jesus <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah that's a good. I, I I was I, I saw that when I was 17, we drove me and like my three best friends at the time, we like drove to the nearest big city which was like Edmonton. Alberta and we saw it we saw it there and it was like and like I was a big Dio fan I wasn't like as big of a Sabbath fan at the time I was more into like Dio solo but I'm like well I gotta go see Dio because that's dope as fuck and then (laughs) then yeah you know and I'm like and it was amazing and they died like a few years, three years, two or three years later. That was a big one, obviously, you know, for, for obvious reasons, you know. A couple other standouts, though. There's a power metal band from Brazil called Hybria, or maybe it's Hybria. I'm not sure. They're like a, a great speedy power metal band with like not a lot of bells and whistles, but like, in the, but they sound, you know, they're just like very, very nice, like very cool sounding, like really great vocals. They're from Brazil and they, for some reason, they've toured Canada twice and they, they just tour these like shithole bars to like nobody. They're like the best band ever. They're like the best. They're, like, they're just the best band, you know. So seeing them and play to like thirty people on, on like some shitty bar like two blocks from my house was awesome. Yeah. I saw. I went to Vakin when I was eighteen as like a graduation trip kind of a thing with some friends, and I saw Avantasia. 
and that was really cool. That that had like Andre Matos from Angron vocals, who's no longer with us, of course. So there was a lot to there. There was a lot to remember. It was like a two and a half hour show. Those are some other standouts. There, there's a ton more that I could list, but those are, those are the three that stick out right now. Something I like about North American touring is some of the larger bands in Europe. You'd have to go to a festival or like Bakken or something to see them, but yeah. you can see them in an intimate setting over here. Like you can see, like I saw Sabaton playing in a in a bar. You know. One of the biggest totally. bands. It's just I like that experience. It is, yeah. it is pretty cool. I think I think it's definitely cool. It's cool as a fan. I don't. I like. I hope the bands. I hope the bands appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. Uh, it is cool though. Like, and I do remember when I was like in my late teens. It was sort of like when a lot of those power metal bands from Europe were like starting to kind of come to like Western Canada and things mm-hmm. like that. So I got to see a lot of a lot of those like Sinad Arctica mm-hmm. was like an was like one of those first bands. And actually they were like they were selling out clubs right away. Actually, they were like surprisingly they, they did really, really well, like right away. And then after them, like Stradivarius came over, Hammerfall, Ed Guy. So we kind of got to see all those bands one after the other. Blind Guardian played at like some tiny club that was like way oversold. It was like capacity 300. There's like 600 people in there. And like <laughs> people were like shaking the stage. And just like, it was, it was one of the most, like that's another standout. When it was Blind Guardian in Edmonton for the first time ever. That was like wild shit. That was like, that was some like wild stuff. And the band was like shocked. <laughs> I remember, yeah. like, just how crazy, how crazy it was. I can only imagine because Blind Guardian just played this past Keep It True, and that was crazy to me because that's not a, it's a smaller venue, you know, it's not huge, and this Blind Guardian. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I think Keep It True is it's like three thousand people, assuming they did it. At the oh, right, but that's yeah, okay, then that's that's definitely still, that's that, for, for like a, for like for like a, a band of their size in in Germany. That's like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. probably a smaller show for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, over here, like in Vancouver, they'll they'll sell out the venue that does like a thousand people. You know, no problem. Yeah. What's the best advice you've received musically? That's a good one, man. I mean, there's definitely been some like real good kernels of wisdom that have been sort of sprinkled through my life that were relevant, maybe more relevant at one time than they are now. I mean, my, my I mean, my parents definitely gave me good advice early on about like, yeah, I know about, about a about pursuing music in general and then telling me that my first band sucked and that I had to like, raise my standards. <laughs> That was pretty good. And then when I was, uh, this this one sticks out. And again, it's not as relevant to me anymore, but this might be really relevant for folks who are kind of like getting a band together or playing at like the local level and trying to get out of that into like bigger, into, there was a, a guy who ran a club. It wasn't even a club, it was like a tiny ass bar in Edmonton, but he was like a pretty well-known dude. Do you guys know the band Revenge? I'm yeah. not familiar. Okay, Nick knows Revenge. So this guy played for, I believe he played for Revenge at one point. And he ran, a, he and the other guys from Revenge ran this like small metal bar in Edmonton and we my power metal band at the time had this pretty it was a pretty big show for us it was like opening for like a like a much bigger local band for their like album release party and it was like a really good show it was like our first time playing in front of like two 250 people and we had a really good show and it was an awesome experience and like we made a chunk of money selling some merchandise. the guy who ran this bar was at that show and he like kind of I saw him like out and about once and he kind of like we had a really good conversation he took me aside and he's like hey man how'd you feel about that show and I'm like, oh, it was awesome. And he's like, you guys should only be playing shows like that. He's like, you need to stop playing my bar. He's like, he's like, I love you guys. And he's like, I've seen a lot of bands come and go in like the scene in the city. I've seen a couple, a handful of bands do pretty well for themselves and like start playing at like the national or even international level. And he's like, all the bands that do that have a few things in common. He's like, they stop playing bars like mine. And he's like, mm-hmm. you need to like, you need to be way pickier about the shows that you, the, the shows that you get. 
you need to like think about how your band is perceived. He's like, do you want to be perceived as a local band or do you want to be perceived as like a big band? He's like, you need to make sure people see you that way. And so he's like, so just, you know, think about that. You got to like, he's like, just make sure the band looks the way that you want it to be perceived and sounds the way you want it to be perceived. And he just gave me some like, that was like some really good advice that I need to, that I need to hear. And he said like, you know, he also gave some stuff like, you know, stop playing. He's like, you, need, you guys need to stop playing like two or three times a month in town. He's like, you guys should be playing like four times a year tops in town and go go out of town. And you guys, you guys need to go out of town. He also, and he gave me, it, just, it was just like a lot of stuff like that and like talking like, you know, submitting to the press and things like that, which was something that like we never really thought about. You know, we, I didn't know how to get like a feature in like the local newspaper. He's like, you gotta, he's like, you gotta like find out who their music editors are and like email them and send mm-hmm. them a CD. And he's like, if you do that, they'll write about you most likely if you don't if you're not yeah. like complete garbage you know <laughs> and that's what we did and it was like insanely helpful and from that point on we never played a show that was less than 200 people this that was so that was one that like struck a big chord again like you know it's uh it's a bit different just for my what my career is like nowadays but that was like something that got me thinking more big picture so if i could that's something that i would say to someone else who was in my shoes when i was 19, 20, 21. That's great advice. Uh, I guess just to wrap up here, Jeff, what's on the horizon for you? What's coming up? Where can people find your music? All that good stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place. Like I'm on Bandcamp. We've got a second gatekeeper record. I, I, I've been saying that it's almost done for like a year now, I feel like. <laughs> But it's it's straight up almost done. We have like literally just one last studio session to just wrap up a couple guitar things in two weeks, and then that's we're gonna close the book on that. We're gonna get it all out to back to the label and ready to rock. So I don't know if that, I I'm hoping that's gonna come out like in 2022. Just depends on how like the vinyl supply situation looks. So that's yeah. coming up really soon. We got a, we got a new singer on that, which is exciting. I'm always I'm always cooking up my own songs. I got a batch of new solo material coming out this year. With, with a lot of like really fun guest performances, people that you've spoken to on this podcast as well. Oh. And you'll, you'll find out who. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and I've, I've always got new Encloaked in the Cauldron as well. And uh, lots of lots of mixing work. I can't believe how insanely packed my mixing schedule has, my mixing production schedule has gotten. It's way more than I anticipated. So that keeps me very busy, which I'm, I, I could not be like more happy and grateful about awesome yeah. mr black it's been a pleasure talking to you we're not gonna keep you I, likewise we'll talk to you, jeff thanks so much for thanks so much for having me this is a blast no problem man well uh right. i'll probably be uh messaging you about final fantasy tactics later let's do it all right <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk the tactic welcome to the night you think you know night demon then the night demon heavy metal podcast is for you step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon Crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.